Welcome to What Do You Think, I'm Al. And I'm Sam. And, uh, to, well, this week there really wasn't any, like, big, big releases. So... Not too much, honestly. We're kind of waiting for some bigger stuff to come. Yeah, so this week we actually went in to see something that really caught my eye. I don't know if it caught your eye, see, but it definitely caught my eye. It was, uh, I forgot what, what movie we were watching. Um... So I remember seeing this trailer for when we were watching air that's the first time yes I saw this. yes it was air it was air and yes. we're sitting there and i'm like well well I, we were we didn't watch it we didn't watch air together but oh so then i just watched air or when i when jay and i saw air i remember seeing this and i'm like well this is giving me dead snow vibes like it, uh, it gave me it just seemed so insane yeah yeah uh when i saw this when yeah i saw the trailer for this uh, and the movie we're referring to, ladies and gentlemen, is the Finnish action movie, like historical action movie, Sisu. Yes. Um, from the director of... Actually, see, I wanted to ask you if you ever saw this movie. Uh, have you ever... So the director's name is Jalmari Helander, and he was mm-hmm. he directed a movie like way back when... God, it's crazy saying way back when. Uh, in 2010 called Rare Exports. No, but I've heard of it. Yeah, it's so, folks. For those that don't know, Rare Exports was that uh, Scandinavian movie, Finnish movie to be exact, mm-hmm. where uh, where like they find like a fossilized Santa Claus, and he turns mm-hmm. out to be crazy evil. Yes, and it was like the trailer opens with there. It's like counting down till his days, but then he gets trapped because uh, it turns out Santa, according to this movie, was like doomed to serve these build presents for kids as yeah. punishment. Yeah. 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 So that movie actually, you know, it really played on the indie circuit. It was one of those like cult classics. Uh, the guy crazy enough. Didn't get like a big, the director, uh, let me, Jalmari Helander. He didn't get like, he got noticed, but he didn't get Hollywood noticed. Yeah. Uh, he followed that up four years later with, an, an action comedy still again in Finnish uh, called big game where a Finnish kid basically has to protect the president of the United States played by Samuel L. Jackson. Huh. That movie, that movie I did see and it really wasn't that great. I, in fact, I had no idea uh, going into Sisu that it was the guy who directed this. I saw this, I think it was on Netflix for a bit and yeah, it just, it was big potential, but just didn't meet it. And uh, the, the action scenes left a lot to be desired. And the guy basically just works in Scandinavian TV for like the next nine years, almost nine years, mm-hmm. uh, eight years. And he finally come. So he finally got this is just the background of the story. So he finally got a gig to shoot a film in Canada. Uh, it was going to be an action comedy. It was going to be like his official English language debut because big game is actually primarily Finnish. And Samuel Jackson's really the only one speaking English. Mm. Uh, but then COVID happened and they basically shut that project down. So while he was in quarantine, he wrote the script for what would eventually become Sisu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sisu played, uh, I'm trying to remember what festival it played in. Um, it wasn't South by Southwest, but it was one of those other like. Well, we even ones. joked that this would like kill it in south by southwest yeah 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 this this played in um oh 
Uh, uh, Fantastic Fest? Yes! Thank you, thank you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, this yeah. played in Fantastic Fest. It, it got a lot of rave reviews. People loved it. But you know how people are at festivals. They're always like, anything that's like crazy out there, they're already like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Well, you also, uh, and you can, we can both speak to this. When you're at a festival, there's a mood that kind of sets. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the mood reads a, a, a film right. Sometimes it reads it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that's, yeah, that sometimes it, it's often the case where you hear about a film that won at Sundance and you see it and you're like, this was very average. I didn't think this was so great. Mm-hmm. That happens sometimes. The only yeah. festival that I've known that where this doesn't happen ever is like Tribeca and some mostly can, but not always. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this also played in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm. So Sisu, star, Sisu stars Jorma Tamila, a Finnish actor who has worked with Jalmari Helander in all his films from... Rare imports all the way to big game, all the way to this, as mm. an ex-soldier who discovers gold in the Lapland wilderness during the final months of World War II. He crossed paths with Nazis, mm-hmm. and they try to fuck with him, so he decides to fuck with them back. Mm. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know about this movie. Yeah. Um, and, like, so, folks... The last movie we saw in theaters, actually, the last movie we saw in theaters I saw with C, was Bo is Afraid. <laughs> you had you some wanna, opinions on that. I had some opinions on that. Now, Bo is Afraid is a three-hour long movie, and it makes you feel every minute of those three hours. Oh, yeah. And it ma- makes you feel guilty for them. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how happy I was. When I found out that Sisu was only a very lean ninety-one <laughs> minutes, yeah, I, I, I think, I think I told Sisu when we walked in, says, "I'm just excited to see a ninety-minute movie after Bo is Afraid." Yeah. <laughs> um, but what where where I'm going with this is that, uh, because it's ninety minutes, because the, the, story is so straightforward. Sisu really does live up to that expectation of a very straightforward to the point movie. And mm-hmm. that comes with some very obvious benefits, but also some pretty apparent drawbacks. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but before that, uh, the question I wanted to open up before we watch the trailer and then give our review, uh, see, and I, I thought it was pretty, pretty apparent. Uh, I'm guessing you don't watch a lot of explicitly Finnish movies. Am I correct? That would be that would be correct. Uh, right. I mean, I do not. All right. So my question is: Scandinavian cinema, Swedish, <laughs> Norwegian, Danish, Finnish. Mm-hmm. What's what's your what's what's your take on it? Like, kind of kind of give us your your thoughts. Any thoughts you might have on Scandinavian cinema in general? Well, they brought us Mads Mikkelsen, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> you know, I appreciate, and, and actually, that's that's what I will say, is that he's kind of like the face of a lot of that industry, of that world of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I would say, usually the films within that region of the world that I end up watching, he's in it, like he's their guy. Um, 
for those who don't know, Mads Mikkelsen famously has played the villain in a lot of cool movies. Um, he was the villain in Casino Royale. He was the villain in Doctor Strange. He was in... He played the dad in uh, in, Rogue One, in Star Wars Rogue One. But people... Oh, and he also played Hannibal Lecter in the Hannibal TV show. But people don't realize he's actually an incredibly talented actor. And so he ends up being in usually what are widely considered the highest caliber or best films of that region. So... That's usually, it's a very narrow focus. It's not intentional. It's just usually he's the only actor of that region Americans recognize, so that's all we end up seeing. So I admit it was actually really nice to see a movie from this region that isn't, that doesn't star Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen, Mikkelsen, I don't know. Um, but I would say, yeah, my focus or my, my perception of that region of film is mainly pretty narrow into him there's of course exceptions like dead snow um isn't the guy who did uh the autopsy of jane doe and troll hunters isn't he from isn't he scandinavian yes he's from i want to say yeah he's from norway and okay. the, that that director's name is Andre Orvidal. Yes, Andre Orvidal. And he's actually coming out with another movie very soon that I hope we will review on this podcast, but we'll talk about that then. I I really I really like him because he directed a very underrated horror film for kids called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That uh, movie got uh, mostly positive but some jaded reviews I found. Uh, but the books it's based on, the, those illustrations are creepy. The fact that he was able to really get almost a one-to-one recreation of those illustrations is what really impressed me. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Scandinavian cinema. We're talking about multiple countries. Uh, so I'll just give quick, quick, like, thoughts on it. Um, I would say... I would say this, the cinema I've seen them like, I'll be honest. This is the first Finnish movie I've seen in a while. I I'm sad. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I really don't follow Finnish cinema that well. I, I follow more Swedish cinema and the golden boy of Swedish cinema now is Ruben Ostlin. For those that don't know, he directed a, a Oscar nominated film called triangle of sadness uh, he a couple years back he directed a sort of comedy called The Square, which and before that he directed Force Majeure, which is his which, best movie. Well, yeah, that's that's my that was gonna get to that's my favorite oh, yeah. movie of his. But he's kind of been like, oh, he's like he's like the Swedish Golden Boy right now, uh, which everyone... is a shame because there's a better director. I have to say, really. Think, well, wait, the guy who directed Another Round, he's Danish. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but that's how uh, little I know about this region. I'll admit too. Okay, no, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, for a while, Thomas Alfredson, the the guy who did uh, "Let the Right One In," he mm. was the golden boy. But then you know he went to Hollywood and didn't do so hot. So he's kind of been put to the wayside for Ruben Ostlin and obviously the god of Swedish cinema, Igmar Bergman. I mean, oh, well, of course. I mean, who hasn't seen well? What cinephile hasn't seen like the Seventh Seal, uh, Persona? Oh, 
Oh, wild seals. strawberries. Have you ever seen wild strawberries? I've seen wild strawberries and the seventh seal, both incredible movies. I saw wild strawberries years ago when I was maybe 13 or 14. My dad made me watch it and I was a little too young for it. Not like because of the subject matter, but it was like, you know, rough, but rather because I think you have to be an adult. That's a movie you have to watch as an adult to understand its power. Mm-hmm. And boy, is it powerful. But Seventh Seal is also... Seventh Seal's what a lot of other films try to... Like, a lot of like artsy films reference it, but there's nothing that compares to it. It's really a groundbreaking movie. I, I This was a couple years back, but I saw one of his final films, Fanny and Alexander. It was the ones he did in the 80s. Oh, that's a famous one. Isn't it like really long, though? Yeah, yeah, no, it's really... Like four really well. hours, right? Um, well, it was it was like meant to be for TV, but it didn't. Yeah, how how long was that movie? That movie was Yeah, it was so the TV show is 300 minutes. Jesus. Okay. The the theatrical movie is 180 minutes, which is but around 3 on hours. On Criterion, you can get like the full version, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and Christ. I saw the 3-hour version and I was like, this is long, but this is interesting. The one I kind of do want to see that I haven't had a chance to, you saw an adaptation of it or, mm. or a reboot of it or a remake of it, Scenes from a Marriage. I've heard that one's really, really good, and I haven't gotten a chance to watch it. Well, the and, reboot was pretty darn good, too, so I need to see the original. Mm-hmm. I, and w- an underrated Ingmar Bergman movie for me is Winter Light, which is a very depressing movie. It, it's basically what um, it, it's basically about a priest in a Swedish village who's depressed uh uh paul schrader kind of made an american version a couple years back with uh ethan hawk called um oh what was it called it's it's like it's like his best reviewed movie oh uh first reformed first reformed yeah it's kind yeah. first Refor- it, first reformed is really inspired by winter's light so but yeah ingmar bergman is like the god of of, of swedish cinema and oh. then the the film I've seen the films from the other country like uh Norway, uh you've mentioned Trolled Hunter, uh Dead Snow, uh Dead Snow directed by Norwegian director Tommy Workola, who uh last year released a movie that I really liked called uh, Violent Night. Oh, I had uh, a fun time with it too. Yeah. It was a good one. Yeah, uh his first Hollywood feature was Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which Ooh. was kind of taken away from him from the producer Adam McKay. And they yeah, totally yeah. they totally changed the ending. And he kind of went back to Norway to make Death Snow 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then he came back to Hollywood, made a Netflix movie called What Happened to Monday with uh Nomi Rapace, and then uh made made another Norwegian film and then made Violent Night, which to me is I, I really, really liked Violent Night. Uh and then with Danish cinema, obviously, uh you have the two big three big Titans or actually no, let me rephrase that. In Danish cinema you have the Dogma ninety five people, mm. which includes Lars von Trier. Mm. Uh who uh <laughs> the less said the the better. <laughs> the better. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> and, he, he Lars von Trier, he Okay. Melancholia is a great movie. I thoroughly enjoy it. 
Dog, uh, is it Dogville? Dogville, yeah. Dogville. Dogville is incredibly fascinating. Um, I've never seen, is it Dancer in the Dark? Dancing in the Dark? Dancer in the Dark. Dancer that movie's dark. depressing. I've heard that movie's depressing, and I've heard also, it's like, that's his most famous, I think. Um, no, his... It, no, his most famous, well, his most infamous movie is Antichrist. Well, sure, that's his most infamous, but an Antichrist visually is interesting. Point being, Lars von Trier's got a fucked up head, but the problem is he turns out he's very depressed and very full of himself at the same time. Yeah. Which I didn't think could be a thing, but hey, different strokes, I guess. And uh, then we have the co-founder of the Dogma 95, Thomas Vinterberg. Uh, yes. Who uh, I got introduced to. So it's really interesting. I was introduced to Thomas Vinterberg, of all things, with um, the director of Drive. Uh, what's mm. his face? He, who's also uh, uh, Danish. Uh, Nicholas right. Winden Reffin. Right. Yes. So Nicholas Winden Refn, it was kind of like the generation after Dogma 95. And he basically adored the the adored the the, the ground that uh, Lars von Trier and Thomas Winterberg walked on. He adored mm-hmm. them. Obviously, for those that don't know, Nicholas Winden Refn, he uh, he kind of made Tom Hardy a, a household name with Bronson back in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made he kind of he kind of burst on the scene himself. The, ne- the following year with Valhalla Rising with Mads mm-hmm. Mikkelsen. And then obviously the film that kind of... Really put him out there. Really put him out there was Drive and also made Ryan Gosling uh, not just a heartthrob, but also a serious actor. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Nicholas Winden Refn, uh, he's... He's like Lars von Trier, but not as crazy. Still crazy. Still but not, crazy. <laughs> not as... He learned from Lars, but... Not, yeah, as you said. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Lars von Trier basically, on television, berated uh, berated uh, Nicholas Winden Refn to the point that Nicholas Winden Refn started crying. And then, like, he said to himself, well, I guess Thomas Winterberg is, is still my idol. And I saw that video on YouTube and I was like, Thomas Winterberg, who's that guy? Like, who's who's the guy that Nicholas Winden Refn is like, Going like, oh, I guess this is going to be my new Jesus now. <laughs> and it just so happens that uh, that year he was releasing a movie called The Hunt. Mm. Holy shit. <laughs> the Hunt stars Matt's... Another thing that all three of these filmmakers have in common is that Thomas Mil- uh, that Mads Mikkelsen has worked with all three of them. Uh, so he, I watched The Hunt. I am like floored. I'm like, what is this? This... This is this is such a hard drama to watch, and um, and yeah, no, uh, I was I was really really. Uh, did you see the hunt? Oh yeah, of course I did. It okay. was it. It's a very fucked up I movie. Kn- I knew it was about, and it, it's fucked. What's more, what's more messed up about it is how ambiguous the ending is, which really doesn't help. <laughs> of course it doesn't. When you're sitting at the end and you're wondering, like, wait. How real is this? Your, it sends a shiver down your spine. Yeah, uh, and then uh, he felt he made a couple more movies, and his most recent film is called Drunk or Another Round, uh, which also stars Matt Mikkelsen, which won 
the Oscar for Best Foreign Film. Uh, and he was nominated ago. for wasn't he nominated for Best Director? Yes, he was nominated for Best Director. Rightly so. That another round or drunk is a masterpiece, to put it lightly. Yeah. So there you go. We listed off some Scandinavian filmmakers that you guys should check out. Again, a little embarrassed that we only know the one Finnish guy. But, and like I said, we I started referencing Danish directors as I was talking about them. <laughs> but hey, we only know what we know. We only know what we know. So so see, how's about we watch the trailer and then give our review for this action movie? Sisu! when you take everything from him. Do you really believe that he's immortal? No, he just refuses to die. How many minds did we bury here? All of them. You and you. not about who's the strongest. This is about not giving up. We have a word for that in Finland. We might have a problem. So that was the Red Band trailer, folks. So it's a very violent trailer. Yeah. All right, see. You go first. What are your thoughts of this very, very violent, uh, historical uh, thriller action movie with a lot of gore? Like, it's gory. So mm-hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts? I was trying to think about what this reminded me of. And then I realized there's something very clear. There's an old game called Wolfenstein where you slaughter Nazis for, like, hours. And that's what this game is. Or this jeez, this movie is. This is I haven't seen Nazis get their ass beat this bad since um Inglorious Bastards. 
And that's saying something. Like, this movie revels in the blood, gut, blood and guts of it. And what's amazing is I think Nazis are like the only villain you can get away with having completely slaughtered in such a brutal, over-the-top way. And you're fully okay with it in a movie. Like, fully. And the movie knows that. It really knows that and pushes the envelope to 11 out of 10. Just goes ham on that completely and does not stop. Um, Al, one thing you brought up, which I'll let you get into more of, is how much of a Western this really is. A spaghetti Western. Yeah, a spaghetti Western just set in World War II. But I didn't fully catch on to that until I'm watching this trailer. And literally, it's like, the he, he's just, it establishes he's trying to go to the bank, that he's on a, a one, he's a one man on a horse. He has his dog. He has like a, the equivalent of just a rifle. He's got everything but a cowboy hat, basically. And he's got gold. So it's such a spaghetti Western. Um, and this film, yeah, it's a bloody good time. It's an absolute riot. I think I haven't been this, this shocked by some of the violence since the film Violent Night that we saw last year. I will say, I think Violent Night... God, Al, which do you think is more violent, actually? I think just based on body count, Violent Night... Um... Something I, I, I do want to say about the movie is that this this is a very lean movie. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that uh, he's not beating like a battalion of Nazis. He's beating like a squadron of Nazis. Yeah, it's a squad. Right. So what I mean by that is that you're going to get some really, really violent action scene, but it's not... It, it, it's not uh it's definitely a quality over quantity type thing it's not yeah. like he's not slaughtering like 20 guys at once no no know? he's usually, he's not john yeah. wicking it no yeah 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 this is like this is like okay we got this guy he's got to kill like this group of maybe 15 nazis right and he's got he's got to do it in this very like rough terrain of the lapland wilderness Mm-hmm. Like, like how many ways can, can he fuck them up and they fuck him up? Mm-hmm. And yeah, no. So, uh, the trailer kind of makes it seem that like, he's like, just, he's like mowing down hordes of Nazis. He's not really. Uh, yeah. but what that does mean is that you get like all the kills with the exception of the third act, all the kills get really, really personal. Well, and, that's actually, and I have to admit when you say this movie's lean, one thing I noticed is that. There's very little dialogue in this movie. Oh, yeah. And again, that's that's being an homage to a spaghetti western. But it's to the point in this where if you removed it, you would know what's happening completely. You would you would it, it would be unnecessary. And for a moment, I thought that's the direction they were going to go. Uh, but then I remembered in the trailer. Oh, yeah, there were they did say some stuff. But it's it's so it's. It's minimal at best. Um, and and I'm not saying that as a bad thing. 
No, uh, no, we're not saying that's a bad thing. Like, it's like, just a fact. Yeah, I would say that the the minimalism would bother me if the kills weren't as well executed as they were, mm-hmm. if the cinematography wasn't as intense as it was, and mm-hmm. quite frankly, if the performances of the Nazis weren't as, you know, as as appropriate as they needed to be, because uh, the Nazis, there's there's a very clear arc of them being like oh let's just get rid of this guy oh that was just a fluke him killing some of us oh shit this guy's actually a bit a badass oh fuck oh fuck mm-hmm. and you relish in that you relish in their fear where you're like oh yeah you guys are gonna get fucked up well you relish yeah like you said their their development of the fear to them realizing that their numbers are dwindling and he's still around yeah and listen say what you will with uh with some issues you may have with his characterization, but uh, Yorma Tamila as as the 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 guy, so they don't really they give they get he has a name they name him like twice in the movie, but mm. you know uh, he's pretty much like just he's like the Finnish version of the man with no name. Uh, he's called Atami. Mm. Uh, uh, Yorma Tamila's performance as Atami again doesn't say a word for like 99.9% of this movie. So he, all he has to like hook you in is his stare. And that's pretty much it. And I got to say, he does a great job. Like he, like he has a role where, you know, he can't be super, super physical. Cause the guy's significant. He's, you know, he looks like he's in his late sixties. Maybe yeah. like, like, like actually how old is this guy? For what he uh, achieves, though, it's it's damn impressive. Mm, I don't yeah, know if so, he did his own stunts or not, but dear yeah, Lord. Yeah, so, so, you know, he's limited with what he can do, right? He's limited with what he can do physically. So he has to get the point across with his body language and with his stare. And I think he succeeds. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at least in relationship to him wanting to fuck up the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on in the first act, I do feel like we really don't get a a good motivation. Like the film alludes to something like, Oh, he was a married guy. Yada, yada. But again, he doesn't talk. He doesn't talk. So, and it's, and there's never a flashback or anything. It's just focused on him, which we're fooled by because the trailer at one point makes us think we're getting a flashback. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so for that entire like prologue section, when he's just a minor looking for gold, uh, you're kind of like, okay, what's his deal? Right. Uh, and you never really get a sense of like, okay, what his deal is. But once the Nazis enter the picture and he, he is sufficiently pissed at them, you're like, okay, now we know his deal and I'm fully on board. And that really is a testament to this guy's performance considering that he has, he, again, he, he really doesn't have anyone to act against cause he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. All he adds again is his stare, uh, his body language. And uh, at times his yells. And I think he succeeded in that regard. Yes. I don't know. What do you think about the character of Atami? I think that's one of those roles that entirely relied on the actor they cast. And thank God they casted a good actor. Because, but not just a good actor, you need the right kind of actor for that. The kind whose face is incredibly caricatured and cultured. That's what it is. He has such a great face for this role where he can say so much by doing very little movement in his eyes and his face, that the very little is necessary. 
So I guarantee you, they it probably he, he you said he that this actor's worked with this director before. Yes, he's worked in all his feature films. So my assumption is this director probably wanted to make this movie for a little while. And he knew he wanted this guy to do it because he knew this guy had the right look for it. Um, because man, he really does like, and it's not that this actor's like particularly bad or even particularly amazing. It's just, it's such perfect casting, like such exact casting for what he's, he needs to do. Like no, no offense to the, to the actor. No, but, but the, the actor, the, this guy has quite a, a number of wrinkles. He has a lot of wrinkles. And like it looks like the makeup department literally like put like lines in them. Lines in them to make him more pronounced to yeah. really give him this grizzled look. Like he he looked almost like he he kinda looked like a gargoyle almost. And and that just enhanced the experience where you're like, oh, this guy isn't someone you want to fuck with. Well, he looked that, like he was part of the ground he was walking on. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, he is it and it is him. Yeah, he really, he didn't feel like a man. Like once once he got really, really battle scarred, he didn't feel like you were looking at a man, but like at some sort of, I don't know, like some Go sort on. of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I think that only works, like this guy is just perfect for it. You know, he just... He has that look that allows you to lean into it to the point that you're like, okay, let's let's cover him in all this battle scar makeup mm-hmm. and really, really make that him look That was really like... good makeup, by the way. Oh, yeah. For the record. So they have this scene, and it's hardly a spoiler. It's like one of the opening shots where he's basically bathing in the wilderness, and you see these massive scars he has on his body. And they're, to be clear, the scars are ridiculous. Like, they're over the top. But what's funny is that, well, it's not funny, but you, I remember when the audience, when we were watching it, the audience reacted to one of the scars because that's how real they looked. They looked very realistic. Like very deep. Yeah. Like we, we believed them. Yeah. And they were, but usually what's funny in another movie where the makeup is even a little bit off and they look that ridiculous, we don't buy it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... Outside of the lead of Tommy, now we have the Nazis. Uh, you know, they they are, like you said, Nazis are like the perfect villain for any type yeah. of movie. Yeah. From, from, from prestige dramas to comedies to action movies, Nazis yeah. are, are, are the perfect villain. To, you make that character a Nazi and you've... You, there's so little you have to do to develop their evil further. So yeah, little. So little you have to do. Like in this case, this Nazi squadron um, are primarily represented by the the commanding officer of the squadron, uh, Bruno. Mm-hmm. And then you have like a second in command who's just called the wolf. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're dirty. They're grimy. They look they look like they they really look less like like historical Nazis and more like they came out of some weird uh, version of Mad Max because they're so grimy and just mm-hmm. disgusting looking. Yeah. And the film does this very easy thing to make us go like, oh, these aren't just horrible Nazis. These are like the worst Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have. So the film pretty much alludes that they burned down an entire town and kidnapped all the young women mm-hmm. ostensibly to, to do horrible things to them. So yes. when we're first introduced to them, uh, basically a Tommy, the lead is walking is basically on his horse 
uh, galloping past them. And he just sees this uh, military convoy truck filled with, with Finnish women. Mm-hmm. And that, and again, hardly anything is said in them. Like maybe there's maybe two lines of dialogue said by the, by the, by the character of Bruno, the commander. Uh, but already you're like, oh, these people are scum because mm-hmm. they, they're, they've kidnapped these women and obviously they're going to do something horrible to them. Well, they've, they directly implied something's already happened at one point. When yeah. One of them walks out of the tent and, and, and is only partially clothed. Yeah. And immediately you're like, okay, these guys are horrible. Yes. You should kill them all. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no. So it's really interesting that, uh, the character who probably has the most lines of dialogue is the Nazi commander, Bruno. Mm-hmm. And the, in, the thing you got to remember is like, okay, he has the most lines. Uh, you still don't want them talking too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's very, they're very Spartan with what he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has both benefits and drawbacks in my mind. The benefit is, is that obviously the more a character talks and expresses themselves, the more they develop. In this case, you're making you're making a harsher villain, a villain that you really want to beat. The mm-hmm. downside is that they're also like by necessity have to be the characters that do all the exposition. So yeah. Bruno ends up being the character who does like 80% of the exposition. Him and his conversations with uh with his second in command, Wolf. In fact, it's their conversation that's literally just like five minutes of exposition. That's just mm-hmm. them talking about who Atami is, in this case that he's an ex ex special commando. And, and that and that whole bit was a very you know obviously it was an exposition dump and that's it was that a was very the, awkward exposition dump. That was the other thing I was gonna say is it was like you realize that like they very intentionally used as little words as possible because unfortunately when they had spent a lot of time you know having a lot of dialogue you would start to see some of the holes in this. You would start to see, oh, well, that's kind of, you know, pretty two-dimensional, pretty pretty basic. But then the movie would pretty quickly pull back out of it and have a crazy, ridiculous fight scene of some kind. Yeah. Um, so the one thing about Bruno is that, like, he's a, a very effective villain. It's just frustrating that he's also the one that's the expositioned up, that you're like, why do we need this? We, like, just by seeing him kick ass we figure out he's he's special we don't need to know exactly why he's special they don't even need to, they don't even need to know why he's special exactly they can just be freaked out that uh-huh. he's this good uh-huh. um now i'd like to bring up one issue i did have with the movie and that is uh is it the third act yeah okay is. before we bring up the third act the only other thing i'd like to talk about is the group of finnish women yes um, of course they they're le- they're like the other group of characters in this movie it's, they're the it's, best written characters i would say as far as the dialogue they have and the things they do well, obviously yeah. the best performance is from atami but they're they're rather well written the the lead, the lead the quote-unquote leader of the female prisoners uh her name is i know played by mimosa willemo uh yeah i agree with you there they have the best written dialogue uh they don't say much uh, but when they do, it, it's the stuff that sounds the most natural. Well, doesn't she speak for them? In yeah, general? she speaks for them. Yeah, she's the only one that talks. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, she also has an exposition dump, but her exposition dump at least feels earned. You're like, 
okay, this would be something she would say to a group of Nazis who have no idea who this guy is. Yeah. Right? But here's the thing. If you just had her exposition dump rather than both of them, hers would have been even better. Yeah. And it would have worked more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's this great sequence where they're kind of used as bait for, for mines. And just like, so it's the leader and then like one of the other girls who's obviously terrified out of her mind. And just the way they perform, they, they perform that, that sequence is so it's subtle. It's so subtle, but so like rewarding in its subtlety in the sense of like the leader is like defiantly just walking. She's like, I don't care. I, I don't care if I get blown up. And then the other girl is very much terrified over what's happening. Like she's shaking throughout the entire thing. And yeah. I was like, I was like, I was like, people who catch that are going to be rewarded by it because it, it already, it, it foreshadows like, it foreshadows who's kind of like the 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 head of, of these prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad, like, listen, this is obviously an ode to spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. And the thing you got to remember is that a it's, lot of... That's sp- literally, sorry, that's literally a reference to, like, tying the woman up on the tracks of the train. Yeah. But instead, they're tying them together and making them cross a dangerous And, and, and listen, I love spaghetti westerns, but I totally admit that, like, especially for these days... Like a lot of stuff that happens in spaghetti westerns can come off as really, really exploitative, mm-hmm. right? And I'm really oh, happy. And I'm really happy for those that like might be queasy with like, oh, are they gonna do like icky things with the women? Like, no, no. The women are. Ne- I never felt like the women were exploited in this movie, and I really, really like the resolution of their story, uh, in the sense of like, yeah, it's it's something that's a bit empowering, but also like still true to the, to the spirit of a spaghetti western. Um, so, so I appreciated that. Uh, okay. So as of right now, uh, you know, our quibbles have mostly been that some of the expositions clunky with the minimalism, there comes this thing of like, well, sometimes characterizations isn't as well developed as you would see in other movies. Again, that that's the benefit and drawback of a lean movie. It's straight to the point, but there's no, there's no flourishes because again, it's being so straight to the point. Again, this is 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an element gets brought up halfway through the film that questions the mortality of our of our protagonist, mm-hmm. right? And see, you were about to allude to this. For most of the movie, it's balanced pretty well. It can go either way, but then the third act happens and it all gets thrown out the window. <laughs> they literally take plausibility and possibility and sanity and punt it like a fucking football out the window straight through. Um, If I may, the third act decides to triple down, borderline quadruple down on the ridiculous action. And unfortunately, it's just not what we bargained for. It, 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 It actually becomes a little much. Now, spoiler, okay. You know what? No, I'll try not to spoil. Yeah, try not to spoil it. I'll try not to spoil. There is a set piece that we, even though we knew this is where things were heading by mid-second act, the fact that they use the set piece in this way was not the right move. And then once they used it, they, the solution they found with said set piece 
was all the way wrong as well. The third act, though the ending saves itself, keep in mind, the ending works. But there's a moment in the third act that gets fast and furious. Ridiculous. Crazier than fast and furious. Yeah, actually, yeah. So it just gets... And it was that moment when I'm seeing that happen where I think both of us, there's a moment where something happens in there and both of us are like, no, like we don't, we, we, we amazingly in this ridiculous, amazing, in this ridiculous fun movie where a guy is literally throwing landmines in a Nazi's face and blowing them up with it. There's something that happens where we're both kind of like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second. And it's not that we don't accept it happening. It's that they drew back the curtain a little too much, showed us how the sausage was made, and showed us how he achieves what he achieves, and got rid of the mystique a little bit, where we're then kind of... (sighs) The minimal... You know what it was? Throughout the entire first and second act... While intense, there was a minimalist quality to it. Act three, the minimalism is gone. And it doesn't work when you take it out. Yeah. Because then you get this over-the-top, unnecessary sequence. Like, like the, the film had escalation, but the escalation felt scaled. And then the third act happens and the escalation just goes crazy. Mm. Um, here's, here's my issue. Right. Again, this whole sequence is done to to bring about the question of the care of the leads mortality. Right. Of, of his of his of how he's able to just withstand so much. Mm-hmm. Now, the crazy thing is that's what they did in the second act. Mm-hmm. There's a sequence where he's captured and he goes through he goes through something mm-hmm. and you're like. Again, it's it's something where you would be like, oh, how is he going to survive that? And I'm not going to say what, but you know, he makes it out, and and that already you're like, oh god, this guy's this guy's like, this guy this guy's this guy's more than human almost. Like, what the hell? How 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 do you, how do you score and that, that? And that was at the high, like we were like, okay, that's the highest it's going to go. Exactly. Yeah, that was it. Was it was still scary? It was like. It was crazy, but it was scaled with what everything else was, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, this is crazy, whatever. But, you know, we believed it, you know, because it was pl- just plausible enough that we... A- and the sequence shows you, gives you... It, it's it's an out there excuse, but it shows you how he was able to pull through. And, mm-hmm. you know, you and I even winced when we we're like, oh, really? That's how he's doing it? Oh, my God. <laughs> we were like, oh... Yeah, we're like, oh man, and that that was it. That's all you needed to do, and then the 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 climax, the the big third act set piece. They're like, okay, we want to again question how he's able to survive and do all these things. But now instead of it being like a scaled set piece where you're like, okay, that's plausible, we're gonna do something that's straight up impossible. That's straight up superhero territory. Yeah, and yeah, no, I mean it just. It throws you out because the film, again, the escalation is at a level. And then it just goes like, it goes from like, it goes like from In five seconds. It goes from like five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 100. 
And you're like, what the? How did we get from 25 and to 100? At the end, it's just screaming, 1,000! It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. And you're it's, like, what the it's, fuck? It's crazy. It's. It's crazier than the. And I love this movie, but it's crazier than the ending of Bullet Train. Think yeah. Yeah. It's crazier than that. Yeah. And see, the thing about Bullet Train, though, is that. That started off at a at like a at like a thirty, and then it just kept escalating until when it got to one hundred. You're like, okay, I'm I'm with it, right? This yeah. film again, it's I would even say like the first two acts are very gritty, are very gritty, mm-hmm. and even though it's it's stylized violence, it's always plausible style. Like like it's like two levels below Tarantino, yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, that third act set piece, it just goes from like below Tarantino to higher than anything he's ever done. Uh, like, like crazier than anything he did in Inglorious Bastards. And that's a whiplash. DC movie. Yeah. And, and that's a whiplash. That's a tonal whiplash. Uh, ultimately the film is able to kind of, kind of roll it back and you're like, and the way it ends, you're satisfied with how it ends. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was one of those things where you're like, this is a gritty ode to the spaghetti Western, uh, to like these grindhouse type movies. But then that third act just went, literally went like superhero movie or James Bond movie just with Nazis. And yeah, I, I think that does hurt the film a bit. And I'm guessing you would agree too that it hurts the, the film it, a bit. It unfortunately does. And <clears throat> unfortunately it does. And it's it's a shame that that I wish I could be on board with the insanity of it at the end, but when see it, it's fine <sighs> to have insane moments. You just gotta know how to scale to them. You know. Yeah. Um, and this it's it. Here's the thing though, what it did, it's not possible to do so in the runtime. Exactly. I, I mean, it, it's not possible to do in the runtime. But I, I will say this. Uh, are the animated film we saw Suzume, right? Mm-hmm. That movie ends up going in a crazy direction, but it starts, it literally starts off with a girl waking up to go to school and then it, it scales to that crazy climax. But right? also you have to remember. Yes. But also I am of the firm belief that when you do an animated film, our suspension of disbelief is significantly higher. Okay. That general. that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I would even say, and listen, it's still bad, but even Bo is afraid. The the scaling of craziness <laughs> <laughs> kind of tied it back into Bo's afraid. Oh, the, the, you the, had the, to. The scaling of craziness was still somewhat believe. Well, actually, no. The ending of Bo is afraid is crazier than this ending. But okay. But the thing about Bo is afraid is that you know what it is, and it doesn't stop. Yeah, yeah. Like Bo is afraid. Is like we're going to go to a thousand, but we're starting off at ninety. And, and <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and again, the problem here is that Sizu starts at starts at a very grounded level, stays yeah. pretty grounded throughout. Like, mm-hmm. and then yeah, that third act just goes balls to the wall, like James Bond level set piece or, mm-hmm. or Mission Impossible level. That's set actually, piece. that's what I was gonna say. It's literally as this was ha- as a certain moment was happening, I just heard. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm like, and it didn't help that we had just seen the Mission Impossible trailer beforehand. Yeah. As well. But but again, again, say what you will about Tom Cruise. That sucker knows how to how to 
in his movies, he always seems to make sure that it's a movie where the the story progression is as 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 effective as possible. You know, there's never that there's never that like jumping the shark moment or 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 even when the jumping the shark moment happens, you don't realize it until the movie ends where you're like, "Whoa, that was that was actually really crazy." Like I'm thinking about Maverick, right? Where Maverick, they're literally in enemy territory and they're able to steal a jet under the enemy's noses. That's insane. That's not realistic at all. But the way the movie plays out, you know, you're so invested in it that when it happens, you're not going like, wait, Miles Teller and Tom Cruise can't steal a jet like that. That's crazy. No. Um, but no, but again, that's because of the effectiveness of how you how how you tell this story right yeah. and listen i'm i'm not saying this story is badly told i'm just saying that that one element was i think not the right call to make i think i think you could have done something there that maintained the level of plausibility that that is consistent with the rest of the movie you can that. even have him do what he does you just have to have him do it you have to have all three characters have to do things slightly differently. Yeah. Like it could have worked if, well, it'd be getting into spoiler territory, but there's a way to make it work. But the moment, all I'll say, I won't give it away, but without context, I'll say the moment he strapped himself in, we were all like bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, see, how about you give us your rating? This movie is a bloody good time. And that's what I give it. It's a movie that's a bloody good time. You will enjoy it, I think. Uh, again, understand that you are not actually seeing a war movie. You are seeing a Western set during World War II. Um expected to get ramp up its craziness um if you can see this in theaters go ahead it was actually a great time however it's its release is pretty limited um but i would say if you're going to try to catch it in theaters you have one week to do so before because once once guardians of the galaxy and fast x come out you're done you won't be able to catch this yeah i'm kind of right there with you this is a this is a, 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 this is a lean action movie for me. Mm. What I mean by that is that this movie moves fast. It's straightforward. It's to the point. And again, you're going to be there for 90 minutes, but those 90 minutes are going to fly by. There's never a lull in the film. There's never, ever a lull in the film. There's always something happening to keep you interested. Uh, uh, Yorma Tomilla as the lead Atame is very compelling, even though he's he doesn't say anything. He's mm-hmm. able to captivate you with Chess's stare. Uh, the Nazis are the perfect perfect level of of grotesque and just assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, this film will scratch that uh, spaghetti western itch you might have with the benefit of oh, this isn't a three hour long spaghetti western. That's great. Um, Cause that's the draw- their weakness. Yeah, yeah. Spaghetti westerns are always long, and quite frankly, a lot of them can get really tedious at times. Mm. Uh, the drawbacks here is that characterization is very, very minimal. It's not bad, but it's it's very minimal. And 
because there has to be an exposition dump, the exposition dumps here, especially from the Nazis, are especially egregious and will make you roll your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because it's so, because it's a very short movie, uh, the escalation, again, goes from like, from like zero to 100 in like three seconds. And it, it the plausibility of it all really just, it, it's a big whiplash. It's a tonal whiplash. You're like, wait, what the fuck? Like, like I, where'd that come from? But the film is successful in reeling you back in, even because there's like three minutes left and it's like, okay, we're, we're going back to reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this, this isn't, a, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, this is a movie that's going to blow your mind. You're going to put it in your top 10 list of the no, year. No, 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 no. This is a good, effective, bloody action movie. That's all it is. That's all it wants to be. And that's perfectly fine. I'm sure uh, this this doesn't have the makings for me to be a cult classic because there's no. nothing about it that's so unique and out there that you haven't seen before. Again, if you've seen Dead Snow, you've seen movies like this. However, that's, I will say I hope this gives the director a chance to make something more. No, yeah, that's to- that I totally agree with you there. So because this doesn't have the makings of a cult classic, I don't think there's that like like. When when I saw Dread back in 2012, I knew that this was that was going to be a cult classic. So I told you were all, right. I told all my friends, you need to see Dread. You need to because you need to see it in 3D before it's gone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends did, and they appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just know when a film's going to be a cult classic, and this doesn't have the making of that, and that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly yeah. fine. So for me, this isn't a movie you need to see in theaters. When it pops up in Hulu or Netflix, give it a watch. It's going to be a fun time. You're with your friend. You're like, hey, let's have drinks and watch something. Watch that. Like, yeah. I th- that's why I'm telling all my friends, like, oh, if, when it's on streaming, watch that. So I don't think you need to see it in theaters. Uh, that being said, um, it's good at it's good at what it's supposed to do. That's all you can ask for. Only real sin against it is that the third act needed some retooling because it just went a bit too crazy. So, uh, see, do you have anything else to add? Um. I would say, well, it's night. This ties into how. So we've reviewed now, a, 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 I'd say, three war movies, so to speak. On, sure, yeah. On this podcast. And one thing I've noticed is I'm really happy to finally see a trend where it's a movie that takes place during a war, but isn't exclusively about the war. So whatever war that is, and that you're just seeing this daring, more interesting outside approach to war films. Um, Because we've seen some very, you know, you know, I think I just, I just like that. We're going in this new direction, actually, and I'm very excited for the fruits. Actually, of that see, labor. you know what? You know what is a better version of this movie? What? The good, the bad, and the weird. Ooh! It's 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 a literal adaptation of the good, the bad, and the ugly, except it's set in Manchuria during World War II, mm-hmm. and it has all the the same. It's it's a, it's the same homage to the spaghetti western. Um, except that one has really well-made characters. Yes. Uh, the set pieces are very, very well done. 
and quite frankly the the performances there are again not not they're better they're they're much much better so folks like if you if you've seen the good the bad and the weird or if you've never seen the good and the bad the weird watch it it's it's a great movie this is trying to do that uh except it's a lot more leaner like it's a lot more stripped down and what that means is that the characters aren't as well developed uh the set pieces aren't as aren't as well defined and quite quite frankly like it it's not as it's not as detailed as that one right and and again that take all that stuff away that this movie's still a fun time i just again i just don't think you need to see it in theaters i think when it comes on streaming it's perfectly fine oh um, just still enjoy it i agree i agree yeah, with that yeah all right so this has been what do you think and this has been our review of sisu uh i'm al and i'm c go kill some nazis Good night, everybody.